Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner, and today we want to do a discussion regarding the transition from being an SRNA to a CRNA. And what does that look like in terms of just one, you've taken a couple months off of school, you passed your boards, and now you have to shake off the rust and get back into the groove of, of doing anesthesia again. But now you're you're settled into a new environment at a new facility. Um, they may do things differently if you're going to a facility that's not in the same area you did school at. Uh, they may use different types of methods for anesthesia. Um, as we know, anesthesia is just as much of an art as it is science, and things can be done differently at different places. You now have a lot more responsibility um, as now you are the one that um, is piloting the anesthesia. You're not just the co-pilot, um, if you will. And so there's a lot of changes that can occur in those first couple of weeks to months, um, starting your practice as a CRNA. And so we really want to just focus on that transition. What are some things that we went through as we transitioned from a student into the CRNA role? What are some uh, tips or advice that we would give you, but also things that maybe we would do differently next time? Uh, because it is a big transition and something that uh, we think is worthy to talk about. I think to start, let's just talk about our experience and Colin, I had a little bit different of experience. I, we both trained at the same school, obviously. And then I moved out of state to start at a new practice, a practice that I, you know, done my research and obviously went there and interviewed, met everybody. There's only so much that you can tell about a practice before you actually get there. And then Cole, uh, he ended up taking a position at one of the places at one of the clinical sites that we went to. So we'll both kind of talk about what that experience was like for us. But for me, I think that this was kind of a culture shock when I went to a new facility. And something that we wanted to talk about at first was something that we both experienced, regardless of having been to the hospital or not, was this sense of inadequacy or feeling like when you showed up, you really needed to prove to the other providers that you knew what you were doing or that, you know, especially being new right out of school, you just felt like you had something to prove when you showed up. And um, I think that was that was a pretty big struggle for me, at least initially. I talked to some of the other providers who were new grads and they kept saying, you know, it just gets it'll get better. It gets better because honestly, the first like week or two, I thought, oh, my like, oh, my goodness, what did I do? You know, this was that I really spend three years of my life going to school for this. It was so stressful. I was not sleeping well. I was, uh, you know, every night doing even more prep for the next day's cases than I did in school. Um, you know, just like there was, there was so much pressure and stress involved that I think, especially for the first couple of weeks, I, I just thought, oh man, I hope I didn't miss this. You know, like I hope I didn't spend this amount of my life preparing for this. And then this is what the rest of my life looks like in a work uh, environment that is, you know, this stressful. And I think it took uh, a lot of time cold. I don't know if that was, I think that was pretty similar for you. Um, and I am only, you know, two and a half months in now and things are starting to slow down a little bit, but other providers that I talked to at the place I'm working at said, usually it takes about like six months to really, really settle in and, and get a good feel for, for the work. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I'm about uh, three to three and a half months now and definitely the first couple of weeks for me, it was the same feeling. I mean, you know, you take those couple months off 
after you graduate. And I mean, both of us took our boards the very first week after we graduated so that we didn't really have that time of studying for a month or so. I mean, we, we took our boards, finished it. And not going to lie, I dropped my books off and did not look at a thing for weeks on end. I mean, I enjoyed yeah. the couple of weeks that I had earned that in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to spend time with my family. Now I have just dedicated three years of my life. I think you Tanner, the same way. I mean, we went on trips, yeah. enjoyed uh, the holidays, et cetera. Didn't even think about anesthesia. Mm-mm. And then all of a sudden you realize your start date's getting closer and you're like, man, what, what's, what's the steps for induction again? What, what drug doses do I like? I mean, literally the basic things I had to kind of replay in my head, like the week before I started clinical or started my job because you just haven't done it, you know, for a couple months, you know, you get back into the OR and I I was told by a lot of people, it's just like riding a bike. You put your hand on that bag. And the first time you do that, it just comes back to you. And it really does. The first time I got in there and I gave my propofol, it just, it just comes back to you. I mean, you've done it for three years uh, for the most, most of us, about three years of school. And you every day for those last couple of months, you were doing this multiple times a day and it does come right back. But the weeks leading up to starting, I took about two months off and I'd say the, the two weeks leading up to starting, I started to have that feeling of, I don't think I remember enough to do this. And I worked at a place that you only have a couple hours of orientation just to show you around and then you get thrown right into your own room. And it made me nervous to think, do I remember all the little nuances that that can happen and what I need to do? And I mean, Tanner, you took a little bit longer of the time off. And I think the feeling is the same there as well. Yeah, I mean, it took a while for me to get my credentials out of state. And that's something that I wish I would have done differently is since I was going to I knew I was going to be going out of state. I wish I would have gotten my RN license, you know, in my third year of school. Because then a lot of like half the battle of getting all of that, um, all the credentialing wasn't with the hospital. It was getting my fingerprints through to the nursing board and getting all of that set up. So I honestly had like four months off just because credentialing took that long for me to get set up. And uh, yeah, like the first day when I showed up, I so the first case I remember I walked in and uh, the facility that I'm working at, they use sucks to go to sleep for everyone. And then to get them relaxed, they use VEC, which I used VEC, I think, one time in school. And then they use neostigmine and glyco when you're reversing, which I'm mostly used to using Cigamidex. I think I use neo and glyco like, you know, less than 10 times throughout the whole school. So I walked in. It's your first day. You feel nervous. This is your first case. The... um, Pull out the meds. And I'm like, I, I already feel like it's, you know, you're trying to shake off the dust. And then, you know, I'm like pulling out Vargo real fast. And I'm like, okay, what's the dosing for Beck? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing for this. And I'm trying to, you're already feeling, you know, a little bit scattered. And I think that was just more so for me, uh, just because I, the, the way they practiced was, was so different. But, uh, and again, I think that goes back to the feelings of inadequacy. You're, it's your first day. I don't want them to see me using Vargo and think, who is this guy? Like, does he know? what he's supposed to be doing. Does he? And so then all of a sudden you're trying to prove that you know what you're doing and you're trying to, um, you know, I think, I think then you're, you probably don't ask for help quite as easily because you don't want to, you want to look like you know what you're doing. And 
I think that was all just self-inflicted stress. You know, they're there to help you. They're there to make sure you're successful. And that was all just pressure and weight that I was putting on myself. And as soon as I got past that, and I think, you know, there's always going to be some level of that that's human. But as soon as I got past that and just realized that, you know, I was a part of this group, I wasn't a student that was trying to prove what I knew to a preceptor. I was part of a group that was there to be a team member. And a lot of that self-inflicted stress seemed to go away. But talking with other people, I feel like that's a pretty common occurrence. You just have those first couple of weeks, especially if it's a new place and you know you don't know the charting, you don't know where pre-op is, you don't know where PACU is, you don't know what kind of uh, orders they like for PACU, like all those things. Yeah, every, every little thing was a learning curve for me. And so I think especially those first, I'd say at least month, um, I just... Like I said, I wasn't managing my stress well, wasn't sleeping well. Uh, and every night you come home, you're preparing for the next day, just like you were as a student. And uh, I will say it's finally starting to slow down. I feel like it's, you know, I'm starting to enjoy it. And um, it wasn't all in vain. I didn't go to school for three years and and think, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to change careers or anything. So I just think it takes some time to, to get through that. Yeah, I remember, Tanner, we, I think it was last summer. So we had about, you know, five or six months left of school. And we were talking one evening about, man, I just can't wait until we're CRNAs. And I still remember this exact phrase you told me. You said, I can't wait until I'm just sweeping out my garage or cleaning out my garage some weeknight. And I have a whole full day of cases the next day. And I'm not even looking up anything. And I'm not even thinking about what cases I have the next day because I'm not a student anymore. I'm a CRNA and I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing my own plan. And I, I distinctly remember you saying that. And I thought about that the first couple of weeks after I started working. I'm like, man, why can't I get to that point? Yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm fully there yet, even still. So I mean, I remember having that conversation with you and it just seemed like kind of this dream world of as soon as you graduated, everything was just going to be easy and everything, like all the pressure of being a student was going to be off. And I think it, I think it's more pressure. Yeah. And not to scare any of you by, by any means, it's wonderful not to be a student. It's so wonderful because a lot of the, the burdens that we had as a student are not there anymore. Um, but there are some different burdens, which just like the different phases of school, uh, I remember talking about how each semester brought a different set of challenges. Um, and thankfully, they were different because they were a change of pace. But each time they felt like a mountainous task that you couldn't com- complete. Uh, you, you wouldn't be able to get over that mountain. And then you did and you went to the next phase, et cetera. Um, and it's kind of like when you first start now working as a CRNA, you do have another mountain of challenges that you have to overcome uh, just because it's a transition. Uh, It's not the same because when you're a student, I mean, I, I remember the last couple of months, like I loved if my CRNA left the room, I just loved being on my own, doing my own thing. But there's a piece of you that also knows that it's not the responsibility isn't solely on you as a student. I mean, you're working with the CRNA and then in most cases, a anesthesiologist as well and it's more of a team anesthetic. And then I think the the thing that stressed me the most all of a sudden was realizing how much of a co-pilot I was as a student, because I always knew in the back of my mind that if something bad does happen, there's another set of anesthesia hands close by from my CRNA that can step in and help. And I wasn't really necessarily taking risk as a student, 
but you know, if I wasn't at the perfect timing to pull the ET tube in terms of, you know, a, a increased risk of spasming or something like that, I would just do it because I wanted to keep my day moving. And I knew that if they did spasm, I had extra hands, et cetera. But now that I'm the, the man in the room, the solo person that if they do start to spasm, I got to take care of it. Or if I don't have the, the patient positioned perfectly for induction and I can't get the airway and they're a difficult ventilation, uh, I'm the one that's responsible for that. And I think that was the biggest uh, added weight factor for me was the extra sense of responsibility that I didn't really realize uh, how much of a factor it was when I was a student, just simply because I did have that extra hands close by, even though I didn't want them. It's kind of interesting. I didn't want that CRNA as a student to be hovering over me. I wanted them to stand away. Um, so it, it is a transition that took me a couple of weeks to get used to was just the idea. I remember my first incident that I had and I looked up and I said, okay, what do you guys do for this? They're like, it's whatever you want to do. Like you're the one in charge. And that was the first time it hit me like, okay, I, I'm the one that has to make decisions and the calls for these things, whether they're big things or small things. Um, you're the, now the one that has the responsibility. Yeah, I think something that I did probably even unconsciously in school, you, you would make a plan but then you would, you know, maybe you're at a new facility and you don't quite know how they're going to do this case. So I would, I would structure my conversation like, okay, so we're doing a, you know, a total knee. I would say, okay, uh, my plan is to do a spinal with an LMA. What are your thoughts? You know, and then the CRNA obviously knew you had thought through your plan and they'd say, oh, it's fine. Here we usually just do, you know, X, Y, or Z. And then I kind of got used to that crutch. And then when I was all of a sudden, you know, now you're graduating, you're on your own and there's nobody that's going to be like, oh yeah, well, we, you know, typically do X, Y, or Z. It's your call. You got to make the decision. You got to, you got to feel confident in why you're making that decision. And so I think that was, that was something that I didn't even realize I was doing was just relying on them to tell me, you know, exactly what they would tend to do. And I think what ended up happening is I never really had a gut of like, this is what I like to do. And some of that's, some of that is going to, you know, is probably inevitable. You can't really get, you're going to have to conform to different places that you go to as students. So a lot of that will probably have to come as a CRNA compared to a student. But that was something that was, that was eye-opening for me was just like, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's going to come over top of you and say, Oh no, we, you know, we do this, that, or the other, you, you have to, you know, there's no, like Cole, you, you were mentioning, there's, there's no one else that's going to ultimately be responsible. I think the flip side of that too, though, is, and I, and I know you've experienced this just as we've talked through different scenarios, there are always people available to help you. And like I said, going back to that insecurity of feeling like you needed to prove yourself, I think probably the, the, bad side of that is wanting to do things by yourself and not ask for help. But even where I practice, where we practice independently, there are always CRNAs that are in between cases, or there's, you know, other people that are available to help you, even if you just have, you know, maybe a potentially difficult intubation and you just say, Hey, do you mind just standing in there while we get this case started? Or uh, this might be a difficult spinal. Do you mind just backing me up on this? Or if you do have, you know, a problem in the OR, it's amazing where they will come from. And so I think while it is true, you feel that weight of being on your own. I think it's also encouraging to know that you do have support. And I think is important that you lean into that instead of trying to shy away and just, you know, trying to prove something. Yeah, that's a great point. 
I remember, well, first of all, so you use an LMA with a spinal for a total knee. Yeah. Yeah. I just do a Mac. Yeah. Um, you totally can for sure. And that's just kind of the culture here. You just, um, do a general with the spinal and get them to sleep with an LMA. I mean, it's basically the same thing, right? Like your, your Mac is probably closer to a general anesthetic than just like monitored anesthesia. Interesting. See difference of practice in different areas, you know? Yeah. Um, And and that's the thing. It's been, it's been totally, there's been so many things that I didn't train doing it, you know, one way or another. Um, But you know, you just, you just kind of adapt. It is, it is fun. This is a quick story just from today, because this is, this is the good, I feel like we're just telling you the the reality of what our transition has been. And I just want people to know that it is, it's okay if it's stressful. Cause I feel like that's what both of our experiences have been. And I didn't really know that from anyone else that said it was this stressful. And I felt like I was kind of, you know, uh, out of place, but it, now that now that I'm intentionally asking people these questions, it seems like it's way more common that people feel this stress during transition. But today was a today was a little bit different. I had a case that was just going really really well. I was actually doing a total knee with the LMA, and towards the end while they were closing, I was just like, like I don't I I had charted everything. I had had all my block meds pulled up, and I'm literally just like staring at a screen just boards. And I was like, well, why don't I just pull the LMA and then use mask straps and put a mask on them and then just leave the gas on and have them breathe on a mask for the last like 20 minutes. And somebody came in to relieve me and they're like, Oh, do you typically, you know, pull your LMA this early? And I was like, Oh no, no, no. I was just honestly kind of bored. And I was just curious, you know, like doing it a different, different way. And that to me, it's so fun. Like you always say, cool, that anesthesia is as much as an art and a science. And we're obviously so new to this and people probably have years and years of experience could obviously run circles around us, but it's just fun that you can try different things and there's a million different ways of doing it. And then as a CRNA, you get to choose, you get to choose that, you know, if you want to do something differently, you do, you can, you can do it. You don't have to, you know, run it by your preceptor or whatever. And you, I think to me, that's, that's the really fun part is, you know, honing in what you like to do, different meds you like to use. Um, so yeah, I think while I want to be very real about the stress that it's been, it also has been a, a ton of fun. And that, that honestly brings up a really good point for another piece of transition. And that's not only are you trying to settle in more for your own style of doing things, just because you've had to change your plans so much for whatever preceptor you would have been with for the day as a student. Now, you know, you're able to make your own plan, but at the same time, you're now trying to get accustomed and used to the different preferences of the surgeons you're with. Or if you're at a practice that has anesthesiologists who are either going to be medically directing or medically supervising you, it changes, you know, based on their preferences, what you do. And it's just learning all of those. So for example, at my practice, um, I have a supervised uh, system with anesthesiologist. And then um, there's just a lot of different surgeons. I haven't even come across all of them yet. Uh, I I work at a level one trauma center where we have uh, so many different places they send us in the hospital that for me, it was just going and experiencing for the first time, all these different places. Uh, You know, there's a whole separate part of the hospital that just does a ton of GI cases for the day, um, a big cardiac area, calf lab area, you're doing MRIs for kids and 
CTs and IR, uh, you're doing your main area. And it was just so spread out that it just took a while for me to get to all these places. And I never wanted to get to the point, and I still don't, where I am uncomfortable doing something. I remember when I graduated, I loved taking care of Pete's patients. Loved it. I thought it was it, it was such a fun uh, thing. I know a lot of people don't like Pete's whatsoever. And it was simply because I was used to taking care of Peds by the end of, of our schooling because I had purposely put myself in a lot of those rooms so that I felt comfortable with it. But it is uh, interesting how fast you become uncomfortable with something like that. And so I just had to take care of my first uh, pediatric patient in months. And it was a little two-year-old. And it was interesting how nervous I was for it just because I hadn't experienced it in a while. And I don't want that necessarily. And so I, I'm telling the schedulers, you know, put me in in the the different variety of things um, at a rotational basis so that I don't become uncomfortable with them. I want to be comfortable taking care of a pediatric patient. I want to be comfortable taking care of a very sick cardiac patient, et cetera. And I want to see those different things. But that added a whole nother level of uncertainty for me was just the idea of, okay, you know, I typically would do an LMA for this case, but I haven't done it with this surgeon yet or this anesthesiologist. And I don't know, is, is, is the culture here uh, the same for, for what I would do? Should I do an LMA or would I get looked weird upon? And if, as Tanner said, I didn't want the impression of, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing either a, because I'm asking too many questions or B because I do something that's out of the ordinary or out of the culture of what's typically done there. And obviously that just takes time. You have to experience it once or twice, and then you see how things are ran and you become more comfortable with it. So for me, it was just, it took about two months, I would say, to kind of experience all the different areas just because there were so many different places to go to. Uh, but really once I was able to go to each thing for the first time, then I knew what to expect going forward. Yeah. Again, I feel like that is just uh, like the normalcy of being uncomfortable when you're starting out at a new place because you don't know how you don't know preferences. You don't know how they typically do things. You don't know, you know, for me, even the charting was different. Uh, and so there's just a lot of like every day there's, there's, especially starting out, there's no just like sweet spot where you just settle in. You're like, Oh, this is familiar. This is comfortable. Honestly, a lot of that is probably the anesthesia. Like the anesthesia is the easiest part of, of your day most times because you're just still trying to learn different colleagues, trying to learn, you know, the surgeon preferences, learning how the flow goes. And so, you know, those are all challenges and uncomfortable. And I don't really know of any other way to, you know, make that better other than just as the more you do it, the more you see things. And, and it's, I, again, I, I'll continue to go back to what I said at the beginning. I feel like a lot of the struggle is self-inflicted where you're just worried about what people are thinking of you or worried that, you know, they think, you know, why is he slowing down the, the surgical schedule? And it's simply because you don't, you know, you don't, maybe you don't even know the flow of getting from pre-op to pack or pre-op to the room. Does the nurse go get them? Do I need to go there and bring the patient back? You know, those are just little hiccups that you'll, you'll go through one time and you know exactly how that goes the next time. And then, um, you know, you just, you just move on through. And so I think, again, getting through the, the challenge of, of putting that stress on yourself was, was a big deal for me. And now things have started to slow down quite a bit. I think the other, the other uh, major thing that we wanted to talk about for 
uh, starting out as a CRNA. I know we have talked mostly about the clinical side of things, but I, I think just briefly we'll talk about home life and and finances and how all that you know was switching over. Talk to a lot of different students who have recently made the switch to practicing as CRNAs and the the gap between you know when you are finishing school to when you actually start making income is a big deal. And for me, that was you know close to four months. You got to pay for your boards at the end of school. That's not cheap. And then now you got to figure out how you're going to live for those couple months before you actually start making income. And then it was like a month delay for me before I actually got my first paycheck. And so that was that was another thing that I just want to put on people's radars. I was thinking, you know, as soon as I get started, I'll have two weeks and I'll have a paycheck. And then, you know, you're you know off and running. But it actually was even a little bit longer than that for me. And that could just be how our payroll works. Or, Cole, I don't know if you had uh, a similar experience. Yeah, I was like three or four weeks. And I think it was three weeks into working before I got a paycheck. And it was even a partial paycheck mm-hmm. at that point. Right. So I think this is something that somebody told me recently is you can look at finding different credit cards that have good uh, interest or or deferred like repayment plans with them. If that's how you want to finance your couple of months, it's not a bad idea. I've heard of people just taking more student loans towards the end of school, since those are going to be deferred, deferred payments anyways, that you can use that to fund your living in between that time. But I mean, I think it's kind of a catch 22 because you, you want to celebrate, you want to have a good time and have a good relaxing time after school. You've earned it. You've spent a good part of your life in school and working really, really hard. And when in your life again, are you going to have just, you know, like two or three months off? So I think there's, there's a, there's a balance where you're really wanting to enjoy that time, enjoy the rest and go and do things that you couldn't do other times because you don't have that much time off. But then you're also probably strapped financially and need to make sure that you're, you know, not digging yourself into a major hole before you can actually start getting paid. Um, so for us, yeah, it was just it was just kind of living simply, and we for sure enjoyed our time off. But we just tried to kind of lay low. It is nice now that you're making a paycheck, seeing money coming in instead of just money continually going out and yeah it is worth it it is so nice to have a paycheck (laughs) so So nice nice. and when i look at the paycheck compared to what i was working in the icu it's it's like okay this is why not the only reason why i did the three years of of school but it definitely is a very good perk to the sacrifice you had to make for three years for sure sure and it comes every at least in my facility every two weeks it comes again and it comes again. And I'm like, man, it's just, it's a good profession. Um, I I go in waves, even with the the initial few weeks of, you know, being stressed out for, for whatever reason uh, with the transition, I go through different waves of, okay, this is such a good gig. Like I have such a good job. I get paid very well to do something that I thoroughly enjoy. And yeah, it might be stressful at times, but the thing that is so rewarding, at least for me about anesthesia, is just that initial gratification. It, it, it's so immediate. You, you see the result right away of if you did a good job or even a bad job. And obviously you want more, you want more of those, those good initial feedbacks. The patient wakes up, it's a smooth emergence. They're comfortable and pack you. It, it's just 
almost just like this high that I get. I'm like, oh, I did a great job with anesthesia. And I, you go right on to the next case and you do it and you get a couple bad ones, right? And, and you learn from that and you grow from that. Uh, but it's just something that I just love and I enjoy. And then to see you get a paycheck that's a significant paycheck every few weeks. Uh, and it really adds up. It, it, it's so nice to get that after school. But I'm not going to lie. It is different than what I thought for the fact that I always saw CRNAs when I was in school that are picking up a bunch of extra shifts. And I'm like, man, if I'm making as much as you guys make, I'm not going to feel the need to always have to pick up extra shifts to pay for things because the amount of money we're going to make as a CRNA so much more than what I'm used to. And I can see why uh, now that I'm actually working is because you automatically get used to the new salary that you're making. And the transition, I think, is so important of how you transition into that, that higher level uh, paycheck. And Tanner, you can elaborate on this more because I know we've talked about this, but in terms of setting yourself up for success right off the bat, with almost in the sense of not knowing that you're you're missing some money in terms of setting things aside prematurely on your paycheck, whether that be to retirement, student loans, et cetera, so that in a way it doesn't seem like you're giving that money up. Uh, you just get used to what the the leftover money is from the get-go is kind of how how I started off doing it because that made a big difference. And because yes, we are making a lot of money, but we also have debt we got to pay off for school. At least most of us do. Uh, we have uh, different things that you had to um, sacrifice the last couple of years that you need to catch up on. I know my wife and I, we had to catch up on a bunch of different things, just simple things that, you know, you just let go for three years and you just need to keep, buy updates for things. And, you know, it all adds up, you know, and it's just how do you do that in a, in a uh, mature manner and uh, a professional manner that is going to keep you set up for financial success moving forward. Yeah, we are by far not a financial podcast, but there are, I mean, I, I do enjoy finance and I enjoy kind of thinking about these different things. I'm convinced, I don't think there's going to be another time in your life where you're going to have such a drastic change in pay as when you graduate. And I think especially that's exemplified in our career. You go from making no money in school, actually paying money, paying tons of money, and then another day, another dollar spent. So we used to yeah, always say in school, get to pay for those lovely long days. Um, so you're, you're paying, you're paying money. You're not making any money. And then all of a sudden you go to making a, a really good salary. And I'm convinced there's no, there's no other time in your life for, for most people that you'll have that kind of financial swing. And I think how you manage that swing is very important for the rest of your career and this is just my little soapbox, but I feel like we do ourselves such a disservice in the nursing profession because we don't manage that change well. And then now all of a sudden we're having to pick up tons of extra shifts because we're trying to pay for all these really expensive things that we've bought or all these different subscriptions that we've paid for. And then all of a sudden now um, you're getting burnt out with the profession because you were never meant to work six days, six full days. You're never meant to work, you know, 70 hours a week. Uh, but you are required to do that to maintain, you know, the, the certain lifestyle that you've created. And I think if we just manage the transition better, it's, it is a lot of money, but then as soon as you start paying your bills, it's not, it's not crazy, crazy amounts of money. And so our, your lifestyle shouldn't, again, it's not, it's not financial advice. It's just my personal soapbox shouldn't change all that, all that much, especially starting out. Um, 
And if I think if you can manage that transition well, then you can work the days that you were meant to work. You can work your 40 hours, go home and still have plenty, plenty of money left over. And again, not get burnt out. And then we have issues with staffing and uh, finding people to fill jobs simply because I feel like we're overworking ourselves. But anyways, I'll, I'll hop off that, that soapbox. But I do think that, um, you know, managing that that transition well is really, really important. And like Cole said, it's super nice to see a paycheck every two weeks. And for me, it's been helpful to get that money out of my hands for things like insurance and for investments and for, um, you know, other things that you want to set a, set aside money for to kind of build your future before you even see that money in your bank account. And then, you know, you're not quite so uh, high on the sticker shock of your, of your paycheck because it's really, you know, pared down by the time you actually see it. But that's just what's helpful for us. And again, take it or leave it. I know everybody's situation is very different and we're not going to begin to tell you how to, you know, manage that or live your life. I know people have very, very different circumstances, but that's just what's been helpful for us. And, um, you know, thought we mentioned it here. So with that being said, there is a big perk. I don't want to beat a dead horse here and keep saying negative things about the transition because while yes, it is a transition and we, we don't want to shy away from the fact that it is a little bit stressful and that if you experience that when you graduate, you're not alone in that stress. We also don't want to give the idea that it's a, a horrible transition because it, it's not by any means. We think it's healthy that you have that stress because if you just came in completely overconfident in yourself and you have all this responsibility, that's probably more scary uh, as a coworker to see a new person come in and have that uh, type of attitude, I would be more concerned about the safety of of things going on uh, with different patients that they're going to be taking care of rather than having somebody that is more conserved, asking questions, um, feels the weight of the responsibility because because it is. We're in a profession that has so much responsibility and there's a reason we get paid the amount that we do because of the responsibility that we have. Yes, a lot of our job is spent in the maintenance phase that other people may say is a very cush job, but we get paid what we do because we have the knowledge and the skills to take care of things when certain situations arise. And so that's why it is so nice and it's so wonderful to have this paycheck. And this is uh, such a blessing to be able to to at least provide for my family in the way that I, I can now. Uh, it's been awesome because my wife was able to become a stay-at-home mom now after I started working and just to see how much happier she is being with the kids. It just makes me feel so gratified to know that we worked so hard to get to this point. And I remember she told me the other week, she said, I feel like, cool, we finally made it. We finally made it to where we have dreamed so long about getting to this point. And it feels so good to get here. And so there are so many good things about being a CRNA. And we don't want to make it sound like it's a, it's a negative transition because it's not. Uh, but we also want to make sure that you're aware of the fact that it is a serious transition. Um, that kind of leads me into one other part I want to talk about, unless Tanner, you had something to add to that. I was just going to ask you, so when, when did you start there at your job? What was your start date? Uh, I started February 10th. Okay. So now it's May 16th. So you're looking at four months, three months. So you're looking at three March, months, April, May. <laughs> We've been out of school for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just autopilot. <laughs> so, so you're looking at three months and I just think that I just wanted to 
to point that out. Like you, you guys are just having the conversation of you feel like you've made it. And Danny and I were talking about that the other day of like, oh, this is, this is stressful because I think you put so much weight on as soon as you're done with school, you think all that stress is going to be gone and you've made it. And then here you are three months into your job and you guys are finally having that conversation of like, okay, you're kind of setting, settling into these new rhythms of your life and you're, you're more, you know, at ease with, with work. And that has, you know, pays dividends for your, your ease and and life at home. So I think, again, I just wanted to point out that I think that's at least in my experience, I'm, I'm still kind of in that, that getting settled in phase. So I, I obviously we're just a sample size of two, but we're both feeling that, that kind of prolonged discomfort while you're making the transition, but it does from what I hear settle back in. And this is why I wanted to just talk now because you've been, you've been at it just a little bit longer than I have. So uh, it's kind of nice to hear from two different, two different perspectives, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think that that should be worrisome to somebody or nerve wracking when you're freshly into a practice and you think, this is not what I anticipated or what I thought it was going to be. I think just with some time, things will settle in and and you'll start to find your rhythm. Yeah, that leads me into a, another point I want to talk about. And for me, it was about the two month mark. I was really starting to feel settled in. And then I had a period in a one week section where I had two or three different incidents happen to me that really opened my eyes to the idea of, okay, like I am responsible here if something goes wrong and I need to know how to fix this. And as Tanner mentioned, there, there's always other anesthesia professionals around if you need help and you can reach out to them. And I know that, but at the same time, you're the one that has to deal with it at the very beginning and try to uh, minimize the complications that can arise. And so I actually had my first uh, patient die on me and I had one happen in school but it was somebody that came from the ICU already and we were trying to save them quick and we just were unable to. And that just had a different emotional effect on me because, you know, they were coming from the ICU and I didn't feel like there was anything that we did wrong that caused that. And I've had a lot of deaths when I was an ICU nurse as well. But again, I felt like most of those patients were already uh, very critically ill and we were just trying to save them rather than have some thing happen that caused them to die. Whereas in this case, you know, it was my first time having a relatively healthy patient come on the OR table. We we're actually just doing a lap coli. I mean, one of the easiest bread and butter cases you can, can picture. And we were waking the patient up. The procedure was done and the blood pressure was just railroad tracks for the last hour, you know, just, just a little over hundred systolic. And all of a sudden I got one that came back at 50 as I was turning the gas down they had just finished suturing drapes were already getting pulled down. I put in my oral airway already. I mean, I was getting ready to wake this person up. I'm like, that's weird. The pressure should not have dropped all of a sudden. So I gave a nice big dose of a veteran and phenylephrine together. And I brought it back up to 90. And then all of a sudden the next pressure boom was 40 systolic. And at that point, my pull socks went blank. And in my head, I'm like, this can't actually be happening. Like, like is the, is the cuff just getting pinched? You know, what's going on? And ended up having, um, I've never actually had to do this in school where I had to actually break open Epi and give Epi. Um, but I, you know, just trusted my gut. I'm like, I need to do this right now. I gave Epi, ended up having to start CPR a couple of seconds later because uh, my end title dropped below 20 at that point. 
uh, and the patient had stopped breathing. I was, I was bagging because he was breathing on his own before this happened. Now, long story short, patient coded like six times over the next couple hours. We actually got him up to the ICU uh, as he was coding again in transport. I mean, I, we went into the ICU room doing CPR on him and it just traumatized me more so than I ever thought it would. And it kind of, at that point, I was really starting to get to the point where I was feeling settled in about the two month mark. And then I went through about a two week period after that, uh, where I was nervous, like really nervous to do another case afterwards, because I was just fearful that something like that would happen again. I don't know if it was simply because of how other people I thought viewed me. If I, you know, I was the new CRNA and I had somebody die and it was I mean, just a lap coley. And was there something I did wrong? I kept going over in my head. You know, what did I do during that case to cause this? Uh, was there something I would have done differently, et cetera? And it, it messed with my head, uh, not going to lie, for about for, for sure about a week. And then it's been a slow process from there, kind of getting that confidence back. Um, and anytime I have like a low pressure come, uh, it's almost like a PTSD. Like, is this going to happen again? And I got to get to the point where, you know, I have to have these plans in my head of what am I going to do? when X, Y, and Z happens. Um, but at the same time, I have to have confidence in the fact that I've been trained and I have the skills to be able to handle it when it does happen. And so there's that balance. Uh, I feel like you got to have of the sense of responsibility to know um, now that you're the CRNA, uh, that regardless of whether you're working at a place like Tanner works at, where you're an independent CRNA, or if you're at a place that I work at, where uh, you can have an anesthesiologist that's supervising you, that can come in for different situations that arise like that at a very quick manner, uh, whatever that may be, you still have to have the sense of responsibility. And I think that adds a lot of weight. And for me, that's been the hardest transition is just the idea of, and now I have that responsibility so much more than I had in school. And, and with that though, uh, now that I've kind of come out of after that death, realizing that I didn't do anything differently that I would have changed. Uh, but it, it, it does, helped me learn. I grew a lot from that experience. Cause like I said, I did not experience that during school. So it, it was a big learning experience for me to, to see that from uh, the viewpoint of being the one actually taking care of the patient and just the emotional attachment that I had to that versus if I was just coming into somebody else's room that was experiencing that. And that really uh, has changed and shaped how I practice. And I remember so many preceptors I had in school would have these weird quirks that they would have me do. And they would say, you know, I just had some bad outcome happen earlier in my career. And I just do it this way ever since then because of that. Um, and that honestly is the truth. I mean, your, your experience shapes your practice. Um, and there's certain things that, you know, I'm going to do a little bit differently be, because of that or one or two other things that have happened since I've been on my own, uh, just in terms of weird nuances that, I, that I'll do uh, just to, because I had a bad experience or a bad outcome. Um, but that's something that's been the biggest struggle for me in all honesty has been, uh, the sense of responsibility, but also having the confidence to, to know that I am skilled enough to be able to handle those situations. And just because a situation does arise, doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad CRNA. Uh, and I think that's been the hardest part for me is, is the, the outcomes of my patients I've reflected on my abilities as a CRNA. And that's something that I've uh, been wrestling with ever since, you know, that death. Uh, and it's something that I'm finally really settling into now uh, is, is more of that confidence level because we need to have that confidence. I mean, you can't be a, a timid provider. You have to be able to step up and do the things that need to be done 
when the patient needs things to have happened. Um, so I don't know, Tanner, if you've experienced anything like that since you started, but that's kind of been, if I were to say the one big hurdle or the big transition piece for me is just that added sense of uh, responsibility for when complications arise, knowing, do I have the skill and knowledge set to be able to, to handle this when it happens? Yeah, I just think it's a very different conversation that you're having in the room when you're no longer the student. And it's funny because the only thing that's changed from a month ago to now that you're practicing is you passing boards, you know, you don't have a wealth of wealth, more of experience between that time period that makes you this certified practitioner and you're ready to just handle things. And last month people would have, you know, called somebody else into the room and asked them questions of how to manage a uh, crashing patient. And then now all of a sudden a month later, they're asking you. And I think that's a sobering thought, but like Cole, you mentioned like your gut instinct to break open epi and just start the process. Um, you know, you're trained, we're trained for this and you're trained to manage these situations on a much smaller scale. I was doing uh, a trach and peg the other day and very, very sick individual. And we're just having difficulty oxygenating the whole case. And the, I, I just remembered thinking while we were doing that case, like the whole conversation the entire time was between me and the surgeon about, you know, if I need to have them stop and I need to have a little bit of time to go back up on my FIO2 and bag them up a little bit, and then they could start again. And I just remember thinking like as a student, sometimes you would have that conversation with the surgeon, but oftentimes it was the CRNA that you were with. If they were in the room, like they would be actually having the conversation. You might still actually be doing the actual things, but they would kind of take over and and um, like, like I said, this is a very, very small situation compared to what you just talked about, Cole. But I just I just remember thinking in that moment, like you are you're the one that is going to uh, be responsible. You're the one now that needs to drive the decisions if you're going to proceed with something or not. You're going to be the one that, you know, initiates that uh, call for starting the code, starting compression, starting that whole sequence. So I think that there is just a, um, a sobering transition that happens and you know yourself better than anyone else you know that you really you know you haven't changed since school it's not like something magical happened and now all of a sudden you have like i said a wealth more of experience but i do think that um you know you can rely on your training rely on um, the hard work that you've put in and you are capable you are ready to take on those challenges it's just a very um sobering thing i think to to know that now the responsibility lies with you. I think all in all, you know, maybe this kind of sounds like, <laughs> I don't think we were planning on making this sound so dreary, but, um, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I just want to, I just want us to be very honest with how our experience has been. And I think oftentimes you get the social media cliff notes of people's experience and, you know, it's all cropped and framed perfectly. And this is just going to be the real deal of what we've experienced. All in all, I will say it is so worth it. Like, you know, we've, it is, it is incredible to go to work, have a paycheck, have responsibility, have engagement with your, uh, you know, fellow coworkers as staff and build relationships. And they respect you finally now. Yeah. You're part of the team. Yeah. Part of the team. And I think that's, that's huge. And for me, like I enjoy getting to know people, getting to know their story, having a conversation when you walk in in the morning and you say hi and you actually know that person instead of being a student walking in and everybody 
ghosting you as you walk by and as you say hi to them, they just look down because you're a student. They, you know, they know you're going to be gone in three weeks. And like, there are so many, there are so many positives and benefits. We just feel that you've probably heard about those already. And we wanted to give you kind of what our experience has been start to finish. Um, so thankful to have the opportunity to be a CRNA. Um, thankful to be done with the journey of training and excited now to be part of the profession. And I just want to reiterate that if you are feeling stressed, if this is where you're at in your career, I don't think that that is something that should make you feel isolated or lonely. I think we all go through that and uh, just wanted to kind of share our experience here today. You know, looking back, would you say now that we're done with school and you're working, would you go and do it again? I always asked the CRNAs I was with that were precepting me, would you go back to school and do it again if you had to? I don't want to, I don't want to give you their answer until I hear what yours is. <laughs> oh, man. I know what it's going to be. I probably shouldn't wait this long to answer. You know what? I don't <laughs> think it's fair. To, I don't feel, I don't feel like it's fair to ask me because school is still so fresh. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. if you ask me in even a couple of months, e- even already, yeah, I, ugh, man, I just think about the, I just think about daily the last three years. And I think with time, you forget about how much, you know, you put into school, but the farther you get out from it, I think that that seems like less and less of a big deal, but, oh man, I don't know that I would right now. I don't know that I'd go back and do another three years. Um, because they're so fresh being done with three years. They're so fresh. I love, I'm, I'm beginning to love what I do for work. But yeah, that would be a very, that'd be a very big conversation. Um, it takes that's a lot most, of time. That's the most common answer I always got from people was their job is the best job they could have ever picked. They absolutely love their job. I, I honestly have not talked to a CRNA that is not happy that they do what they do. Every CRNA I've asked this question to has said they love their job, but almost every single one has said the three years of school was the worst three years of their entire life. Like I've even had somebody say that him and his wife call that the dark ages of their life, uh, the dark years of their life. You know, they, they refer to the school as the dark years. And I'm like, that is so true for me and my wife, you know, it was, it's a hard road. And I think um, for anybody listening that has yet to go to school, uh, I, I just want you to be prepared that you need to have the support, the support system to go through it because it is a journey. Uh, I remember when I made my decision to be a CRNA, this was seven years ago and my wife and I set that goal and we worked all the way to get there. And it is definitely a journey now that we're here by far, it is worth it. Like, like I said, it's just the other night, my wife said, you know, I think we finally made it like it, it, it is such a gratifying feeling now to be at this point. And so it is worth it. I definitely say it is worth it. But again, Tanner, I agree with you. I think I'm still tired from the three years that we just went through. And I wouldn't just jump in right now to another three years if I had to, to keep this profession. Not saying that I wouldn't do the original three years from the beginning uh, if I was sitting there fresh. It's just the concept of I want people to know that it is a very challenging three years or however long your school is. Uh, But I definitely think it is worth it. Yeah. And and we're so new into the benefits of it too, you know, like we've not, we've not been able to experience all that CRNA life has to offer. 
to the fullest. So I think that also plays into while school is fresh, we also are pretty, we're, you know, brand new into the CRNA profession and haven't really settled all the way in. The last thing I'll say before we finish up, I, this is kind of a long, long wrap up, but uh, we have talked over and over about finding your support system in school. You just mentioned that Cole. And I think that is a hundred percent the key to getting through school is finding a group of people that can, you know, encourage you. You can talk about your highs. You can talk about your lows, people that really understand exactly what you're going through. And I don't, what I'm learning is that it doesn't stop when you get done with school. And so I would still, you know, rely on those uh, relationships that you've made in school. Cole and I talk all the time about like, Oh, this was so dumb. I did you know, this the other day in a case, or, you know, I forgot about checking this and, and you're probably going to be more guarded with those conversations with, you know, seasoned CRNAs, but other new grads that know exactly who you are and, you know, your experience and how you develop that friendship through school. Those are easy outlets to have those conversations with. And um, like, we still call each other all the time and, and talk through our days, just because I feel like that is something that's really important that you still maintain even after school, because you're still going to have some of the same highs and some of the same lows and finding a group that supports you. in that I think is really important. Obviously your coworkers are going to be there um, to a large extent, but I just think there's something unique about people that you've trained with and are at the exact same stage of, uh, you know, their career as you to be able to talk about those things. Yeah. The bond that I formed with my classmates is something that it's a bond that I'm like anybody or any bond that I'm going to have with anybody else in the rest of my life. It's just the experience that we had to go through together, just kind of, it, it sets a whole different type of bond. And so like Tanner said, like I actually work with two of my classmates that graduated with us and work at the same facility. So it is so helpful to be able to ask them questions that have you, have you experienced this yet? Have you worked with this surgeon yet? How did that go? just the little things make a big difference. So the support system does not just end when you graduate, continue to bring that forward. Um, so I hope this episode has been beneficial to you. Uh, it, it, again, Tanner and I didn't want to make this seem like necessarily a negative talk, but we also want to want to keep it real. That's why we titled these, these episodes Real Talk. And that's because uh, oftentimes, as Tanner said, that we can sugarcoat things and you see only the good side of things when you're looking at uh, the life of other people. And we want to make sure you understand the reality uh, that it's not completely uh, going through the meadow. It, it's not like you cross the finish line of school and it's done. It's over. All your struggles are in the past. There are still hurdles to overcome, um, but it, it's so much more worth it. You have such a higher upside, so many more blessings, at least from uh, the short couple months that we've worked, uh, we've already started to see that. And so it is such a great profession. So stick it out, keep with it, no matter what uh, stage of life you're in right now in your journey to become a CRNA, whether you're still in nursing school, whether you're an ICU nurse about ready to start CRNA school, or whether you're a student in school, or whether you've already out and you're going through the same stuff that we're going through right now, and that's the transition whatever stage you're in, just know that that hurdle, uh, you'll overcome it. Um, there are always going to be the next hurdles to go through. Uh, so it's, it's always something to continue to, to go and to overcome. But the beautiful thing is with each one that I have passed and things that I've talked to Tanner about, uh, you just see how far you've come. Uh, we were just talking the other day about 
that we are so much further ahead than compared to what we were last year. Even though you have a hurdle right now that we're going through, it's just, it's so fun to look back and see how far you've come. Uh, so just keep taking one step in front of the other. Um, and again, get that support system. That is the biggest key.